Welcome to Craft Life, episode 27. Eat your heart out. In this episode, I'll share some new and new to me podcasts. You're invited to another podcaster hangout. We'll have food, glorious food. And I'll tell you what I've been crafting. All this coming up in this episode of Craft Life, the podcast all about living the creative life. Hello, and welcome back to episode 27 of the Craft Life podcast. Well, I say welcome back to all of you returning listeners. And if you are a brand new listener, thank you so much for tuning in and giving it a chance. It's been a while since I last recorded a proper podcast episode. Since episode 26, we had the first ever podcaster hangout through Google Plus, uh, viewable on the Craft Life YouTube channel, still right now at Craft Life in Motion over on YouTube. So if you weren't able to join in live with us and you haven't seen the hangout yet, you can go over there and check it out. Well, there are reasons that it has been a while since I've recorded a, a podcast episode. I've been having a few health issues lately. It's nothing life-threatening or, or terrible or anything like that, but the result has been that I have been extremely tired. Um, I pretty much go to work during the days on the weekdays, and I come home, and I just I just need to sleep. It's also, uh, it's also zapped my knitting mojo, so I haven't done a lot of knitting over the past few weeks either, but... Hopefully, it looks like that this may be coming to an end very soon, so I look forward to kind of getting back into the swing of things and, and maybe not having such large gaps between podcast episodes going from here forward. Today's episode is pretty heavy on the food, hence the title, Eat Your Heart Out. I'm going to be doing a, a good bit of talking about food. While I haven't had a lot of energy to, to craft, of course, we still have to eat. Here in the craft life house so I have been doing some cooking and some baking and and just that's just something I love to do that is also a necessity so we're going to cover that a good bit later on in the episode one thing I have been doing is listening to podcasts even though I haven't been recording them I've definitely been listening to them and there are a few that are new to me at least that I'd like to tell you about the first one is called Sittin' and Knittin'. It is a video podcast, which is hosted by Diana, and she is his handmaid on Ravelry. Uh, Diana has also some very special co-hosts, but you'll have to go and take a look at her video podcast um, to know what I'm talking about. Also, if you do have a chance to go on over there to listen to Sittin' and Knittin' podcast, you might recognize the song she uses as her intro. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Another podcast that I've really been enjoying is the Shorty's Sutures podcast. This is hosted by Kelly, and she is Shorty's Sutures on Ravelry. I was on the lookout for a podcast that is geographically close to me. Being out here sort of in the north middle of Texas, I, I've been having a hard time finding fellow podcasters that are within decent driving distance from where I live. And imagine my surprise when I found Shorty Sutures. And the more I think about it, the more I'm pretty sure I've probably heard her mentioned on Caithness Craft a number of times, and it's just never stuck in my head. 
So I finally went over there and gave Kelly a listen, and she's great. She does more than just knitting. She also covers crochet and embroidery, and she's she's just really interesting to listen to. So go on over to Shorty Sutures, if that piques your interest, and give her a try. And the third podcast that I've recently found, because it is actually a brand new podcast, is Shiny Bees. And Shiny Bees is hosted by Joe, who is shiny bees on Ravelry. Very easy to remember. She keeps it simple. Jo is originally from England, but she is now living in South Africa. So it's sort of a, you know, you get the knitting, you get some crochet, you get a bit of spinning and a bit of info about life in South Africa, which is something that I know absolutely nothing about. So head on over to shiny bees podcast. All three of these podcasts you can find on iTunes. So if you subscribe to craft life or any of your other podcasts through iTunes, you can find sitting and knitting, Shorty Sutures and Shiny Bees all on iTunes. And you can also find them on their various websites. And I'll have links to those in the show notes for this episode. There is another podcast that is not craft related and it's not one that's new to me, but it is a podcast that gave me some very interesting information back toward the end of July. It's called Stuff You Missed in History Class. And it is produced by the Discovery Channel, and they produce a lot of stuff podcasts. There's stuff your mom never told you. There's um, stuff you miss in history class. There's stuff you should know, stuff to blow your mind, tons of podcasts. So if you're looking for anything that is maybe science or history related, go check out the stuff podcasts, and you can find those on iTunes as well. But this particular episode, which was from July the 25th, they were talking about... um, really the 1900 Olympic Games, but they did a little segment where they covered, you know, just sort of the basic history of the Olympics. And this is the part that kind of kind of jumped out at me. First of all, the official ancient Olympics ran from 776 BC to 393 AD. So the ancient Olympics were done and over a long time ago. Now, the modern Olympic Games came out fairly recently, but between the time that the ancient Olympic Games ended and the modern ones, as we know it today, began, pretty much between the Renaissance and the beginning of the modern Olympics, there were still games that were being held that billed themselves as the Olympic Games. And the ones that really kind of caught my attention in the podcast uh, was a set of games held in the 19th century. They were called the Much Winlock Olympian Games because they were held in Much Winlock. And they featured sports like wheelbarrow racing, in addition to other more commonly known Olympic sports. Uh, and also they featured competitions for less athletic competitors, such as, you guessed it, knitting. Knitting in the Olympics. In the Olympics as a competition. Who knew? A bit of digging around on the internet led me to the British Library website, and it had an article entitled Dr. William Penny Brooks and the Winlock Olympian Games, a Significant Influence on the Modern Olympic Movement. That is a mouthful of a title, but let me sum up to you just by reading you this quote that was on page five. Quote, By 1852, the Games had become an important event in the athletic calendar, attracting competitors of distinction from far beyond its boundaries. These athletes often took prizes home, therefore closed events for those solely from Much Wenlock were introduced in order to compensate, and this is the key part. The 1852 Games also saw the introduction of activities aimed towards the younger generation, with boys taking part in arithmetic whilst knitting was the activity of choice for girls. And that's all I have to say about that. Let's get on with the rest of the show. (music) 
I mentioned in the intro, you are invited to another podcaster hangout. This podcaster hangout is going to take place on September the 8th, and it's going to be at a different time than the original podcaster hangout. You can look for us at 10 a.m. CST, 11 a.m. EST, and 4 p.m. GMT. I will have those times on the show notes for this episode, so don't worry if you didn't catch them right now. Basically, it's going to be a bit earlier in the day. It'll be 10 o'clock in the morning for me, but that way it's not so late in the evening for Martine over in Guernsey. Instead of 8 o'clock, we're, we're pushing it back a few hours. She only has to be on at 4 now. So hopefully this is going to, to open it up for maybe some people who were not able to catch us last time. So if you're on the West Coast here in the U.S., it's going to be 8 a.m. So I recommend you bring along a cup of coffee and don't worry about getting out of your PJs because we won't be able to see you. And uh, if you live in the West of Australia, it's going to be 11 p.m. But you know what? It's a Saturday, so you can stay up a little later on the weekends, right? I recommend you bring a nice cup of herbal tea to help you wind down. Like I said, hopefully more people across the globe will be able to tune in this time. And just like last time, you can tune in by watching the Craft Life YouTube channel. That channel name is Craft Life in Motion, and all you have to do is be there whenever the start time of the Hangout is, wherever you live. Among other things, we will be talking tech, but in a very viewer-friendly way. And just like last time, we will also be having some giveaways. This time we're doing something a little different. I am very excited to let you know that we are adding a fourth rotating seat to the podcaster hangout. We had so much fun doing the first one, we decided, you know what, let's just kind of keep this an ongoing thing. And by adding this fourth rotating seat, it will give us the opportunity to bring in a variety of guests. So we can have, you know, a lot of different points of view and um, a lot of different personalities to join in the hangout. So I think that's going to be great in creating variety. And this podcaster hangout, we are excited to welcome Maria of the Subway Knits podcast. She's going to be joining in our conversation, so I hope you're able to, uh, to give her a great big welcome. There are lots of ways that you can join in the conversation. If you're on Twitter, you can tweet us with the hashtag podhangout, that's all one word. You can email me or you can post comments and questions in the podcaster hangout thread in the Craft Life group on Ravelry, if you're on Ravelry and not Twitter. You can also post comments on the YouTube channel during the hangout or after the hangout. If you're not able to watch it live, it will be there and, and remain there. So if you're not able to catch it as it's happening, you can go back and watch it later. But of course, as always, we would love, love, love to have you there interacting with us live. We did have a few people take us up on that offer last time, and it was a lot of fun. So again, that's 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 4 p.m. GMT. Hopefully, we will see you there. I love spending an afternoon in an antique shop, roaming up and down row after row of shelves piled high with things that hold a memory of days gone by. I'm always fascinated by the way the objects were used, or the people who might have used them, often playing a round of name that item when I come across something particularly curious. Most of the time, I leave those antique shops the same way I entered, empty-handed, but there are two things that I always have my eyes open for that both pique my interest and are easy on my wallet. Vintage sewing patterns and cookbooks. 
It was the latter of these two that I managed to score one day this past spring in a tiny little antique shop in Burnett, Texas. As I was leaving the store, I saw a whole section of cookbooks, which I immediately proceeded to pull out and flip through individually. One of the things I really like about vintage cookbooks are the pictures. There's something very unnatural, but very intriguing about color photos of food from the 1940s and 50s. The colors are over-exaggerated, causing the food to look almost like something that might come as a plastic accessory to a child's play kitchen. Then there are the recipes. As tastes and food politics have changed over the years, many of the recipes which are found in vintage cookbooks are not to be found in our sleek modern-day equivalents. And if truth be told, I really enjoy the sense of nostalgia and connection to the past that comes from reading and cooking from old cookbooks, even if they are from a time that I, personally, am too young to have lived through. This particular spring day, I left the antique shop with a bounty of seven small recipe booklets. They appeared to have come from the same owner, as six of them were too hole-punched, as if to fit inside a small recipe binder, and all of them were authored by the same person, Mary Lee Taylor. Since the oldest book in the set was dated 1941, and the most recent was dated 1957, I figured this Mary Lee Taylor person must have been quite a name in cooking. I got the books home and began to study them more closely. On the back cover of each is an advertisement for pet milk, and every recipe contained in the books calls for pet milk in some way or another. These were obviously cookbooks sponsored by pet milk, for those of you who are unfamiliar with PET, it is a brand of canned evaporated milk, or milk that has had approximately 60% of its water removed. And it's still super easy to find at grocery stores across the U.S. today, and pretty much one of those staples I always keep handy in my pantry. Most of the books also directed me to listen to Mary Lee Taylor's Saturday morning radio show. Well, I like vintage radio like I like vintage cookbooks, so this directive sent me on an internet hunt lasting several hours, in which I managed to find complete recordings of 33 original Mary Lee Taylor programs, as well as a surprising history of Miss Mary Lee Taylor. Mary Lee Taylor was actually the pseudonym of Mrs. Irma Purim Protz, who was born in 1891 and died in 1944. Proats worked as a copywriter and advertising account executive, director, creative vice president, and executive vice president for the Gardner Advertising Company in St. Louis from 1923 until she died. It's during this time that she became the force behind Pet Milk, creating the Pet Milk Testing Kitchen, many recipes, and her radio alter ego, Mary Lee Taylor. The Mary Lee Taylor Show, sponsored by Pet Milk, of course, ran from 1933 until 1954. That's over 20 years, and it's been called the longest-running cooking program on the radio. In the beginning, the Mary Lee Taylor program was on CBS radio stations, and it was 15 minutes of recipes and cooking tips, but by the time the show moved from CBS to NBC, it had grown into a 30-minute program, which had the bonus of an additional 15 minutes dedicated to a light radio drama called The Story of the Week and featuring a young married couple named Sally and Jim Carter. 
Mary Lee Taylor program. Brought to you by Pet, America's first evaporated milk. Today, a new personality joins the NBC Saturday morning parade of stars, Pet Milk's Mary Lee Taylor, with a half hour of entertainment and helpful service dedicated to happier living. Yes, it's Mary Lee on NBC. And here she is, Mary Lee Taylor. Thank you, Dale King. And hello, everybody. Joining the NBC radio family is like moving into an exciting new neighborhood. And my kitchen door is wide open, and the welcome mat is out for all of you, my new NBC neighbors. If home and husband and family mean a great deal to you, then I know you'll enjoy this Saturday morning program. The first feature is the story of the week about young Jim and Sally Carter. And the first I heard about today's chapter in Sally's life was when Sally phoned me to say, Mary Lee, I don't know what to do. Jim's taking a job in Capital City, and he's not taking me with him. He didn't tell me. I had to hear it from someone else. The story was followed by the recipe of the week. Just like the recipes in my cookbooks, the recipes featured in the radio programs involved the use of pet milk and were intended to be both delicious as well as economical. What happened then? You'll hear in just a minute. But first, a word about the second feature of our program, the recipe of the week. And the money-saving meal plan. Don't forget that. Oh, I couldn't, Dale, because that's a very important part of our service to homemakers. And today, right after the story, we're going to plan a delicious meal that costs just about $1.88 for a family of four. Why, that's less than 50 cents a person. Mm-hmm. And it's a grand meal. It features an exciting new dessert, prune chiffon party pie. The recipe of the week. That's right. And an unusually good dessert because it's made with whipped pet milk. And pet milk whips as easy as one, two, three. And with the recipe I'm going to give later, even a beginner cook can make prune chiffon party pie perfectly the very first time. And finally, each episode ended with Today's Recipe for Happiness, in which Mary Lee shared a few words of wisdom on how to live a happier life. About our young friends, Jim and Sally Carter. All of which is very fine, but you know something, Mary Lee? You haven't given us today's recipe for happiness. But I'm going to, right now. And I chose this one because today is my first day on NBC. I've been talking to many listeners I've never had a chance to visit before. And this is a thought that has kept running through my mind. A stranger is just a friend you haven't met. Well, now that you and the Saturday morning NBC listeners have met, I'm sure you won't be strangers anymore. And I certainly hope that pet milk isn't a stranger to any of you, because pet milk can go a long way toward helping you save money on your food bill and serve your family more delicious, more wholesome meals. Tonight, pet milk brings you over most of these NBC stations a half-hour musical show starring popular singer Vic Damone with Hollis Shaw, the Serenaders, and Gus Henshin and his Pet Milk Orchestra. Don't miss it. Listen tonight to Vic Damone on the Pet Milk Show. And remember, next Saturday, Mary Lee Taylor will be back, same time, same spot on your dial. And the kitchen door will be open and the welcome mat out for all of you. Until then, this is Mary Lee Taylor saying goodbye and... Happy homemaking. Goodbye, Mary Lee Taylor, and good luck and good health to all of you from Pet, the first evaporated milk.
Irma Perum Protz, the brains behind Mary Lee Taylor, was a force to be reckoned with in the advertising world. Reading a l what little I could find about her made me want to jump into an episode of Mad Men and shout, Take that, Don Draper! And, Why are you dragging your heels, Peggy Olson? In 1924, Protz won the Harvard Advertising Award for Distinguished Individual Advertisements, which she then won again in 1925. Then in 1927, she won the Harvard Award Jury for the Best Planned and Executed National Advertising Campaign for a Single Product. She was the only person to have ever won all three awards. In 1952, she became the first woman to be inducted into the Advertising Hall of Fame. Yes, there is such a thing. This is a lady I would love to have met. She had the skills, knowledge, and gumption to make her way in a very male-centric time in our history. While Mary Lee Taylor was busy instructing the public in the ways of a happy homemaker, Irma Perum Protz was climbing the advertising industry ladder as high as she could go. If you were keeping up with those dates that I've been throwing out at you, you may have noticed that Protz's radio creation outlasted its creator. While Protz died in 1944, the Mary Lee Taylor program continued to run until 1954, 10 years after she passed away. I found some obscure reference on the net that says that for the radio show, they replaced Mrs. Protz with an actress, and since Protz wasn't living during the last 10 years of the program, that kind of makes sense to me. I certainly didn't think, when I bought that handful of books, that I would have fallen down this rabbit hole, but I'm glad I took the time to investigate the lady behind the recipes, because she turned out to be so much more. And now what's left but to pick a recipe and start cooking. Well, now that Miss Mary Lee Taylor has me all ready to go and get into the kitchen, how about a craft life recipe of the week? This recipe is for peachy iced cream, and it is a recipe that I adapted from the recipe for fruit sundae from the book So Good, So Easy to Make, Recipes by Mary Lee Taylor for Two, Four, or Six. This book is copyright 1951, and like many of the other books that I managed to pick up along with this one, uh, the recipes are broken down in such a way that you can modify them depending on the amount of people that you are serving. Like I said in the title, for two, four, or six people. Now this fruit sundae recipe, the tagline reads, Whipped pet milk makes this frozen dessert a really thrifty treat. And if you were paying attention closely during the little snippets of the Mary Lee Taylor show that I played for you in the previous segment, she also used this technique of whipping evaporated milk in her prune chiffon party pie. This idea of whipping evaporated milk is brand new to me. I'd never heard of it, and I thought I would give it a try. So in order to make this peachy iced cream, you're going to need two-thirds cup of evaporated milk, three tablespoons sugar, the juice and grated peel of one lemon, and one fresh peach. That's it, it's just four simple ingredients. You're gonna puree the peach, you're gonna whip your pet milk, whip in your sugar and your juice and lemon peel, and add in the pureed peach, put it in a dish, put it in the freezer, and you're done. Now, you have to be kind of particular when you're whipping evaporated milk, and so just to make sure we have it right, I'll pass it on back to Mary Lee and let her tell you how to whip evaporated milk. Hey, Chad. 
spoon sip on potty pie? Well, since whipped pet milk is what makes the pie filling so delicious, first I think we should give the directions for whipping the milk. That's easy. Just have the milk, the bowl, and the beater all ice cold. If you use an electric beater, turn it to high speed. If you use a rotary beater, turn it as fast as you can. Right, Mary Lee? Right. And the way to chill the pet milk here is to put it into one of the ice trays and leave it in the refrigerator until ice crystals begin to form around the edge. If you haven't an automatic refrigerator, just put the can of pet milk right on the ice. Or measure it into the bowl first and put that right on the ice. And it really is that easy. The key is having everything cold. And in today's modern marvels uh, that we have, such as electric refrigerators and freezers and electric hand mixers, it really could not be easier. Um, once you get this evaporated milk whipped up, it really does grow in volume. And by adding in the lemon juice, a little bit of sugar, and a nice pureed peach, and popping it in the freezer, you do have something that is very much the consistency of an ice cream without the need of an ice cream maker. And, you know, you can make it as, as healthy as you want. I haven't tried this with fat-free evaporated milk. I know that, they, that you can get that in the store. Um, so I'm not sure how that does with, with the whipping, but that's definitely something I want to try next time I make peachy iced cream. You can find this recipe on the recipes pages at craftlifecentral.com, along with um, some other recipes that I've mentioned in other episodes and on other blog posts. And if you would like Mary Lee Taylor's recipe, her original, for the fruit sundae that this peachy ice cream recipe was adapted from, you can find that in the show notes for this episode, also on the website, craftlifecentral.com. Liver pudding. Noun. Definition. A savory southern specialty made from various pig parts and heavily spiced. Usage. Example. I think I'll have a side of liver pudding to go along with my pigfoot stew. Pigfoot stew. Noun. Definition. A hearty stew made from pig's feet, potatoes, onion, and various seasonings. Usage. Example. Nothing beats the winter cold like a hot bowl of pigfoot stew. liver pudding and pigfoot stew. You get a two for one today with today's southernisms. And uh, I, I wanted to do these two foods together because they have something very important in common other than, other than that they're both pig products. Um, these are foods that I ate as a child that I no longer eat. <laughs> so let's start with, with liver pudding. Liver pudding is, is part pork liver and part everything else in the pig that you would probably cringe to eat. The meat is ground together and it's mixed with like a little bit of egg and milk and maybe some finely chopped onion and spices like black pepper, sage, allspice, maybe some bay leaves, just kind of depends on the recipe. The, the mixture is then pressed into a mold such as a bread pan and then it's baked. Now, 
in order to eat liver pudding, there, there are a number of ways that people enjoy this southern delicacy. You can eat it just plain and cold, straight out of the fridge. After you bake it, you can pop it in the fridge and it'll keep there. You can cut it into slices and fry it. You can use it as a spread for crackers, or you can eat it the way that my dad prefers to eat it. Sliced cold on a sandwich with yellow mustard or chopped up and mixed into grits. Now, if you don't know what grits are, see the Southernism from episode one. So I've done a little bit of looking around for liver pudding online. And well, first of all, the reason that I stopped eating it as whenever I was younger is because I, I asked my dad to read me the ingredients from the label. And that's when I found out that in addition to pork liver, it also contains everything else that you would, I mean, you, you probably really don't want to eat. Um, however, in my, my Googling around with liver pudding, I found a number of homemade recipes online and pretty much those don't contain any of the questionable parts. Um, most of these recipes uh, call for pork liver, of course, and also um, just ground pork or pork chops. You know, you can kind of be more picky, I suppose, if you're making this recipe at home. So you know, those sound a little bit more palatable. Uh, liver pudding seems to be a dish that is very specific to the South, and, and I mean deep South, like South Carolina, uh, parts of North Carolina, maybe a little bit of Georgia, and that's, a, that's about it. You can't find liver pudding in Texas. Um, I've had some South Carolina transplants who are sad about that fact. Um, so you, you kind of really, it really is a, a food that is very specific to the Deep South. Now, as a side note, my dad's favorite liver pudding is produced by the Count's Sausage Company in a little town called Prosperity, South Carolina. They don't have a website that I have been able to find, but if this has sounded like something that you might like to try, and maybe you don't live in a place where you can just pop over to the grocery store and buy you a pack of liver pudding. Uh, they do have a Facebook page, so I'll be sure to link to that on the show notes for this episode. Now, let's, let's move on to pigfoot stew. This is not something that I've been able to find that you can purchase in the grocery store already made. You can sometimes find pig's feet in the grocery store, but uh, not the stew. This is something that my grandfather and grandmother make. And they tend to make it in large batches and then divide it all up into um, styrofoam quart containers that you can then freeze and just keep around all year long because it is kind of a, I guess, kind of a work-intensive process. Whenever the pigfoot stew is done, the meat has cooked off of the pig's feet. So when you're eating a bowl, it just kind of looks like a meaty stew, but, but pig's feet meat is the main ingredient. And you can eat it hot, just like it is, you know, as a stew, or served over white rice, which is which is pretty much the way that I grew up eating it. You know, you need a little bit of the starch in there with, with all the meaty stuff. So these two foods, liver pudding and pig's foot stew, not not foods that I really eat anymore, but they are foods that are that are very much of the South and that certainly my family still partakes of and, and enjoys very much. So those are those are just sort of sort of two odd foods from the South. Oh, one thing I did want to tell you, I did find in my pigfoot stew research that a number of cultures have a version of a pig's foot stew that they eat. Um, it seems to be particularly in uh, Latin American countries. So I haven't tried any of that, but the Southern style is just with a little bit of onion and potato and lots of salt and pepper. And, uh, and yeah, so that is liver pudding and pigfoot stew.
You see, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, where is the crafty talk? Well, it's time to get to that. First, I want to tell you about a little podcaster meetup that I was thrilled to take part in. Shortly after the first podcaster hangout, I got to meet with Laura of the Apocalyptic Diner podcast in person. She was in the warm, warm state of Texas visiting family. And since that is also where I live and not too far away from where her parents live, as a matter of fact, we got together at the Wooly U, which is a yarn shop in Plano, Texas, where we did a little bit of stash enhancement and uh, then made our way on over to Super Salad, which I only discovered moving to Texas and I'm not sure if they have them everywhere, but um, it's a restaurant that is just what it says. It's soup or salad. And um, they really, they have two very large buffet lines with with either or. So it was a great place where um, all three of us, Laura, her mother, and I could both find foods that we very much enjoyed eating. We had a great time, great conversation, and I am so ready for Laura to come back to Texas so that we can visit in person again. So Laura, if you're listening, go ahead and plan your next trip and tell me when you're gonna be here. Like I said, we did do a little bit of stash enhancement, but I'm going to save that for the next Podcaster Hangout. So if you want to see the goodies that I bought, tune in on September 8th to the Podcaster Hangout and I'll do a little bit of show and tell. Now, as I mentioned in the intro or in, in the beginning of the podcast, uh, I haven't been doing a lot of knitting these past few weeks, but before I, I started having changes in my health, I was doing a lot of knitting sort of during, during the time of the Olympics. And, and also a bit of lessons learned in knitting during that same time. If you remember way back to the beginning of the year, we had the, uh, the DFW Fiberfest. And I went to the Fiberfest on a quest for a very specific kind of yarn. See, I'm ready to knit the Owl's Sweater by Kate Davies. But I, I was looking for a very specific yarn with which to do this. It needed to be wool. It needed to be superwash. I wanted it to be white or slightly off-white. I'd, I'd go for a little slightly off-white um, with, with some Tweety Flex of maybe some blues or some blacks because my whole whole idea for this owl's sweater was to be a snowy owl's sweater. Well, I didn't find this yarn at the Fiberfest, so I decided to hit the online shopping. And what I went with uh, was a, a Pat, Patton's Shetland Wool yarn uh, in the colorway Biscuit Tweed. And from what this yarn looked like online, it seemed like it was going to be pretty close to what I was looking for. Close enough that, that I would, you know, finish this owl sweater and look at it and say, oh yeah, that's totally snowy owl sweater. So I ordered six balls of yarn, which was seemed to be enough to make the pattern, and eagerly awaited its arrival. And the day it arrived on my doorstep, I grabbed the box, took it inside, opened it up, and then said, oh, it's not that the yarn is bad. It's, it's, it's great yarn. It is a lovely colorway, but the biscuit is definitely more of a beige. It's not a white. It's not close enough to be my snowy owl sweater. So I had to come up with something else to do with this yarn. I had ordered a sweater's quantity. So I decided to go ahead with the sweater idea, but to pick a new pattern. So this time I went with Mud Season by Elizabeth Smith. This is a simple top-down raglan style sweater. It's short sleeves, which some people feel, you know, sweater, short sleeve, that kind of doesn't go together. But 
Living here in Texas, um, it's great for when it gets slightly crisp in the fall. And if it ever really does get really cold, I can always put a long sleeve t-shirt under this sweater. So it seemed to be, you know, something that was going to work. So I started, I started that kind of near the beginning of the Olympics and it flew, absolutely flew. Easy to read pattern, easy to knit, just, just a great, a great little pattern. Um, but I got a little overzealous and I decided, you know what? All those things I learned in Isolde Teague's perfect sweater class, I'm going to use them. I'm going to make this sweater fit my shape. And wow, did I ever. <laughs> I completed the ribbing at the bottom. And before I started to put on the two short sleeves, which is all I had left to do, I tried it on. And not only had I shaped the sweater, I had way over, over shaped the sweater. It was exactly the shape of my body, which, you know, for a comfy slightly loose fit sweater is absolutely totally the wrong thing so it has stopped it has been put on the shelf because that was that was about the time i started feeling a little under the weather so the mud season like i said it's a great pattern if you're looking for a simple knit um or especially like if you're looking for a first sweater i definitely recommend you checking that pattern out but uh, right now it's waiting for me to rip it back to the underarms and start knitting the body all over again which I shall do at some point in the future, but just not right now. That's pretty much all I've been knitting. But I have been doing a bit of spinning. Remember that Icelandic wool that I've been working on forever? I made a homemade lazy Kate out of a shoebox. Shoebox, I say in air quotes, it was a, actually a shipping box from Bath & Body Works, but it worked perfectly. It fit all three of my drop spindles. And I have actually begun plying this Icelandic wool. It was a bit of a trick to get off the spindles and wound onto the ball winder. Uh, I've decided that my homemade Lazy Kate works okay, but it needs a lid to be made with holes to feed the singles through on their way outside of the box because that would have eliminated a lot of problems that I ran to as I was trying to, to find an easier way to get them off of the shafts of my spindles. But all of the singles have come off. Um, I have started plying. And shortly after I began plying, uh, I am making a three-ply yarn out of this. Shortly after I began plying, the drop spindle I was using to ply the yarn broke. Now, we joke about drop spindles are called that because they're always being dropped. And well, in this case, yes, it was dropped. I was in the middle of, of just trying to spin the plies together and it, uh, my yarn came off the hook and the drop spindle fell to the floor and as it did, the whorl, which for this particular spindle is acrylic, it was, I guess it was just knocked the wrong way and it came loose from the shaft of the spindle. So I guess I should take it off of this spindle and put it on one that's working, but it, the whorl is not so much bugging me that I really feel like I have to take it off now. So I'm kind of at a stopping point. I don't know if I should just keep on going with my spindle being uh, a little worse for wear, <laughs> or if I should try to wind off the yarn that I've already plied and start afresh on a new spindle. So if you have any recommendations as to which way to go, um, leave me a comment in the show notes and let me know. And uh, then I'll tell you, I guess when, once I make a decision, which way I am going to go with that. So the spinning, the knitting, and uh, my meetup with Laura of Apocalyptic Diner, which was so much fun. That is pretty much all that I have been crafting lately. And that about wraps us up 
for episode 37. Uh, it is a little bit longer than normal, but like I said, it's been a while since I put out an episode, so I hope the length is okay with you. So tune in September 8th at the Craft Life YouTube channel. The name of that channel is Craft Life in Motion. We look forward to seeing you there. It's going to be me, Laura of the Apocalyptic Diner podcast, Martine of the I Make podcast, and Maria of Subway Knits, who we're very excited to welcome. And we want to see you there as well because we want you to join in the conversation. So be there. And as always, iTunes reviews are always appreciated. That's one of the best ways that you as a listener can give feedback to the podcasts that you enjoy listening to. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you really like us, give us a five-star rating. We'd love to see five-star ratings come through. So if you're on iTunes and you have a spare moment, go ahead and leave comments and feedback and star ratings for your favorite podcasters. As always, if you would like to get in touch, you can email treacleandink at hotmail.com. The website where you can find show notes for this episode and the recipe for that peachy ice cream is craftlifecentral.com. On Ravelry, my name is Treacle and Ink. You can also go to Ravelry and join the Craft Life group. If you're on Twitter, follow me. My name is Craft Life. Join me, Martine, Laura, and Maria on September 8th in the next Podcaster Hangout. Until then, thanks so much and have a great week.